What is crack-a-lackin', Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Sally coming at you without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Bromwell. I am, however, super pleased and excited to be joined by fellow Bleacher Report colleague, Jake Fisher. Follow him on Twitter, at JakeL. Fisher, he is also the author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Error Changed the League Forever. I highly recommend that book. Go check it out. You can find it wherever books are sold. He is also the host of the Please Don't Aggregate This podcast that is on the Get Colin app. So you can also find all that stuff on his Twitter. Again, that's at Jake L. Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. He was nice enough to take some time, about a half an hour, to come in and talk about the fallout that we can expect from this season and the playoffs leading into the off season, we get into Lakers, Knicks, Grizzlies, Pelicans, the jazz predominantly talk a little bit about what we can expect the trade markets to be this summer. Uh, since there is limited cap space, it was a fun conversation. We hope you enjoy it. Thought it'd be a nice little break from us covering the awards, the playoff races, um, just something to do a little bit different as we keep talking about the same thing. Um, over and over again, a nice little primer for the offseason, in my opinion. Before we dive into this, I just want to remind everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and most importantly, subscribing to us wherever you get your podcast. If this is your first time checking us out, please consider throwing us that permanent subscription. We are modestly insufferable when it comes to national NBA coverage, and we think that you'll appreciate that. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Follow us on Instagram at Hardwood underscore Knox. Follow us on tip. TikTok. We are at Hardware Knox. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com. Search Hardware Knox will come up. Also, feel free to join our Discord where we're constantly having great conversations there. Um, that's where we throw our mailbag solicitations as well. First, um, the, the link is in our podcast description. So hurry up and go join. With all that out of the way, though, let's get to talk talking some NBA offseason with Bleacher Reports, Jake Fisher. Jake. Thank you so much for coming back on the Hardwood Knox podcast for a second time. I really appreciate it. First and foremost, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm hanging in, man. A, a little, uh, a little groggy today. I'm not gonna lie, but we're uh, we're here with, with a BR colleague, so we're trying to bring as much energy as we can. How are you? I am doing spectacular. How much? Look, you're busy. I mean, it's not the trade deadline, but I know you're busy. How much caffeine are you consuming on a daily basis? Is this a life doesn't begin before one gram situation, or? <laughs> um i don't drink I, I do not consume caffeine actually um wow. that's been kind of a, a strong stance of mine dating back to my childhood so um we'll see how long it continues i just turned 28 a couple weeks ago um so i'm still early in the in, in the adult world but uh i, I think i'm going to be a staunch commitment uh guy to, to no caffeine yeah i mean holy shit that's impressive uh, I turned 30 a couple of years ago and I don't drink coffee, but if you tapped my blood, there would just be caffeine in it. That's just how I function. So kudos to you. Um, I wanted to start here. We don't talk about the Lakers a lot on this podcast because they really haven't given us anything interesting to talk about, but you published a piece recently, a bleach report about the future or lack thereof of Frank Vogel in Los Angeles. They were just eliminated from playing contention um, of all things. What is the, what do we expect from them this offseason? You already wrote that Frank Vogel is probably gone, but is there any other upheaval we should expect? Yeah, you know, on Monday, woke up and was trying to uh, figure out with our editors what the story for Tuesday should be. And the fact that they were facing elimination last night, we're recording this Wednesday morning. Um, it, it seems pretty ripe to to spin that ball forward. And, you know, the, the Vogel talk has been out there since 
January at least, maybe even earlier. I memory doesn't serve me much longer than January, but um, you know, I talked to people in and around the Lakers this week. They were kind of speaking about Vogel's tenure there as a foregone conclusion, you know, about the ifs and the whens and you know, spitballing types of candidates and not, you know, about whether Vogel will be back. Um, so I mean, I do think he's unfairly being scapegoated here. I will say that. Um, and the guy helped them get a title in 2020 and the year after they were number one in defense. And obviously um, that the injuries have been, you know, not necessarily his fault. And I think also the Russell Westbrook trade clearly, of course, was not um, something that Frank Vogel went and beat his chest and wanted to, to have that um, be completed. So um, it is what it is. I, I think it's also, that's kind of just, where the NBA is right now, when situations don't really go as planned, the coach is typically the one to have the blame be, you know, fall on their shoulders. So outside of him, you know, to answer your question, they're going to definitely look to move Westbrook. I mean, that's something that they obviously look to do at the trade deadline, but it's going to be difficult. Will they have to move both first round picks that they now will have access to this summer, the 2027 and the 2029 to get off of his contract when it's an expiring contract. That's a, that's a, you know, precarious situation to me. I mean, I, I don't want to give up draft capital through the next, through the rest of this decade, you know, just to get off of an expiring contract. I'd rather try to find a, a different solution. I'd rather try to maybe use one pick to get off Russ and another pick to try to, use that Taylor Horton Tucker Kendrick Nunn package that they kind of offered all over the league. I mean, pretty much every team I called before the deadline said that they got some type of call from the Lakers about Taylor Horton Tucker and Kendrick Nunn. So, I mean, I'd imagine that would continue. I, I can't, you know, I don't know what Kendrick Nunn's trade value would be being that he hasn't played a game on all this season. So I don't know what the options are. It's, it's pretty limited. I mean, the, the, the gist of what the Lakers can do this year to really, or this offseason to really shuffle their deck is to change the coach, which we said it's pretty expected to move Russell Westbrook and then to trade a Taylor Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn package. That, that's really it. That's really where their flexibility lies. I, th- I think, you know, there's like the Frank Vogel situation is what they can change just because Russ has the $47 million player option. And well, as you mentioned, it's expiring contract is such a big salary, even in the off season, like that, we're talking about like a one for three or four player swap in most situations there. Um, and like with that, they, they're already talking about, you mentioned in your piece that Rambis could technically be a candidate, but you were quick to rebuff that. I think you scared Lakers. You, you scared the crap out of me when I first saw that line. Is that one of the least likely outcomes? Like we're not going to see Kurt Rambis, like, you know, haunting the Lakers sidelines next season. You know, from my understanding, the Lakers are not very far along in their head coaching process. I mean, Frank Vogel is still employed and they still have a couple of games left here. Right. Um, but even, you know, the Kings for, from what I've been told, they haven't really started making legitimate outreaches yet, even though they're very expected to move on from Alvin Gentry as well. So um, the, the names that are being out that are being whispered out there, even the ones that I, I've written publicly and the ones that I, I did not include in that story. I mean, they're not technically like quote unquote candidates, right? That's why we put right. in, potential candidates, excuse me, potential candidates and probable candidates and that, that, that type of language being that those are names that maybe the Lakers would want, maybe those names would want the Lakers and the, the, the fact and fiction will kind of separate themselves once that opening really 
is available. And once the season comes to a conclusion and they actually start reaching out to candidates, the Rambus thing, I mean, by all accounts, he's one of the four most powerful people in that franchise. And if he wanted to coach, if he wanted to coach, I think he'd be the coach. Like if, 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 if it's that, you know, if it's that streamlined, like if, if Kurt Rambus wanted to be the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers, um, I think it would happen. But from my understanding, he's got a pretty cushy gig in that he's just kind of a senior advisor. I mean, sure, he's got a lot of power, but a lot of this goes back to Rob and Vogel and LeBron and Clutch, right? He's kind of, you know, shadow GM is the the name that people say for his wife, Linda. Like he kind of is operating in the shadows to move yourself onto the front lines, onto the sidelines might be something that is not exactly ideal in terms of, you know, for a power player, for, you know, I always use the word cognoscenti for the Lakers being that kind of how it seems people exist in that franchise. My final thing on this is, and you touched upon this in your piece on Bleach Report too, so go check that out. That was just loaded with a ton of information as always. We should not expect the more nuclear scenario that I think a lot of talking heads or, you know, made for clicks or engagement segments have centered around, oh, would they trade LeBron or AD? Like the most nuclear scenario, I feel like is what you outlined. If they're actually willing to give up draft equity to get off Russ's deal. And that seems like the biggest roster move that they would make. Agreed. I think, you know, if some very, very, very beneficial deal for Anthony Davis comes along, that's you know, knocks their socks off. That's like, holy shit, this is going to be, you know, a real thing that moves our needle here. You know, I think they would listen. But honestly, everyone I've pitched the idea of, because when I wrote about the Lakers a couple weeks ago, um, back when they really started to take a tumble um, and everything seemed to be starting to, to shift towards this point, like when it really seemed possible that they could miss the play in tournament altogether. I think it was like the first week of March, I wrote a story about them and I did not include the, the potential of trading Anthony Davis being that everyone I talked to then pretty much pushed back immediately on that concept. But I was surprised how many Lakers fans kind of wanted them to explore that opportunity. And even still like at this point still seems very unlikely that they would really entertain that. I mean, people in the league want to whisper about, oh, like maybe LeBron and AD aren't on great terms right now. But like at this point, though, they want a title together when healthy. And I think people around that situation still believe when those two guys are healthy together, they will have a, as good a shot as anyone to, to win a championship as wide open as the league, you know, purportedly seems right now. Which isn't an egregious thought to have, like a healthy LeBron and AD. Like I think if you could just build a half competent roster around them, which is something the Lakers just haven't been able to do this season – uh, I actually think that that's a fair stance to take sort of intertwined with this team, just because Quinn Snyder was one of the, the names you mentioned in your piece that might pique the Lakers interest and his name sort of been floating around the ether as maybe as he leaving the jazz. Um, there's been some weird stuff in the past with him in the front office. Um, we know that he already won a power struggle there. Is he, there's a lot to dig into with the jazz's future, but is he actually a flight risk in Utah? It seems so. Mark Stein first reported that a couple of weeks ago in his Substack, and he wrote some line in there along the lines of that the Jazz have been unable to extend his contract. And, and, and I, I don't have the details 100% confirmed, but my understanding is that, yes, that there, there's been efforts to extend his deal or to add an option or to pick up an option, whatever the, again, I don't have the exact specifics, but he's at least 
his behavior with his contract has at least given jazz people an impression that he might potentially leave. And I think, you know, Danny Ainge taking over as CEO, there, there's certainly a lot of rumblings around the league of quote unquote big changes coming in Utah, whether that's, I mean, they've already hired a bunch of people um, under new owner, Ryan Smith to the front office and the coaching staff and what have you to try to support Donovan Mitchell and their, their never ending quest to, to make him more comfortable in Salt Lake city. Um, and it, I mean, Doc Rivers, name comes up a lot too in conversations with people about a potential candidate uh, to replace Quinn Snyder. So the fact that those two pieces are out there, like connecting all the data points, it would seem to be that there's at least some type of um, expectation that it really is plausible. Quinn Snyder might not be with the jazz next season. And I know you said you didn't have like hundred percent details on this, I guess that's the the nature of coaching contracts, but is is like is he a free agent? This like does he have his own option, or do we just not even know what the terms of his deal right now are? Because I've not been able to find out anything about what his actual contract looks like at the moment. Um, from my understanding, he he could become one. Um, okay, that, I guess all I can say, yeah. Um, that is wild, and this is sort of happening in the backdrop of you know, and Quinn Snyder went on an impassioned speech against this. Um, it was like two parts valid, one part hysterical. I don't know if you saw that he said sometimes Rudy and Donovan Mitchell eat lunch together. And mm. that's not just me like pulling a random quote. Like if you read that entire thing, that's how he closed out this like long, like winded speech. It was hysterical. The Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell stuff. I don't want to set a benchmark of Utah has to get here in the postseason. Otherwise they're going to explore major changes. It sounds like based off what you said, that anything could just be on the table in general for them. But are the futures of Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell like actually something that is on the table if the jazz let's say flame out in in the second round of the playoffs yet again people on the league new york in particular i've heard a bit of miami uh definitely want Donovan mitchell's future to be on the table i've been saying all along and this is more of an educated guess because you know teams don't very uh often candidly talk about their plans to break up a, a superstar or an all-star pairing middle of the season um but I've been saying all along that if they do decide to ultimately move on from one of those guys, my, my educated guess would be that it would be Rudy Gobert first and not Donovan Mitchell, which is kind of treacherous being that that could in theory put, put the jazz in a position where they move Rudy for, you know, X return package. And then by sometime next season or the year after that, Donovan Mitchell does request a trade. And then all of a sudden they're left without both of those guys. And, you know, there's also a lot of, credit to be given to Rudy Gobert as to how successful he's been there and how much he's raised that team ceiling, especially defensively. I mean, he's a three-time defensive player of the year. Could win it again this year, probably won't, just based off of how the narrative machine works. Um, But, I mean, I'm not so sure how moving Rudy Gobert dramatically changes things there. I think it's mostly the depth around those two guys that's been the big issue. Um, but if they are to, to go back and answer your question, if they are looking to quote unquote, break up that, that pairing, my guess at this point would be that Gobert would be the first name to go rather than Donovan. I think he's just Donovan is a younger, be more of a, um, a piece that is malleable that can fit certain types of playing styles and, and pieces around him that, you just don't look to move if you don't have to until he levies a trade request, kind of the same thing with Damian Lillard in Portland and Bradley Beal in Washington. Like until he does ultimately say like, I do want out of here. I, I wouldn't very, 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 I'd be very skeptical of the jazz even remotely entertain moving Donovan. 
I agree with everything you said there. And it's the Rudy Gobert stuff, especially because I don't know what you actually get when you move him. He's a generational defender, but you look at the end of his contract, there's a $46.7 million player option on that. I don't know who's going to be pining, uh, foaming at the mouth to pay Rudy Gobert in his thirties, that type of money. I know this ventures into more guesswork, but does it seem more likely that they would move both of them rather than just move Donovan and try and continue to build around Rudy Gobert? Because to me, it almost seems like if you tried to build around Gobert, that sets an even lower cap on your ceiling just because of his limitations on the offensive end. I don't know if I agree with that. I think, you know, if you have him as a baseline defensively, um, and he can be a pretty good pick and roll partner as a lob threat, which we don't really see him used too much as. Um, I, I think I think there's a way to build a team, not around Rudy Gobert as like your focal point, but to build a team around him being that he's a $46 million contract on your books and he is what he is. Like, you know what you're getting from Rudy Gobert pretty much every night. Um, but I, I just think you know, this is a superstars league and especially a superstar league of guys who can score and create their own shot on their own. And when you have a guy like that in Donovan, he, he is the piece that, that just across the board, anyone you talk to in the NBA would say like, you, you keep this guy as long as possible until he says, I don't want to be here anymore. So I, I don't think they would move both those guys this summer, um, unless Danny A just wants to come in off the top rope and say, screw it. Let's, let's build this thing over from the, from scratch. And, you know, I, I mean, starting a rebuild is the easiest way to to give a front office uh, longevity, right? So maybe that's what they ultimately try to do from that perspective. But at this point, I don't think that's very likely. I think I think we'll see Donovan Mitchell in a Utah Jazz uniform on opening day in 2022, 2023. Yeah, I, to be fair, players like him on like their second contracts that they just don't get moved. That just rarely ever happens in this league. Jumping to another Western Conference team, and I know you you touched upon this and you're latest podcast episode, and I don't really like giving it credence, but I know it's like a topic. Zion Williamson's future in New Orleans, the debate over it, has it actually been overblown? I don't think it's been overblown being that there's been so much tension down there. And the fact that his father is going on local radio kind of, you know, saying that Zion wants to play and he's posting that Instagram dunk and the Pelicans clearly don't want him to play, you know, there's enough there where, I mean, look at, to bring us back to Utah, I always come back to this example when talking about superstars or all-stars and their, their franchise, you know, longevity. When the Jazz ultimately, when the Jazz went out and said that Gordon Hayward could just go find an offer sheet back in, I think it was 2014, and he signed that deal with Charlotte. Like, I think Gordon Hayward remembered that when he became, you know, the top free agent on the market in 2018 and left for Boston. Um, so, like, the way it's just like it's just like any relationship, you know, if someone, you know, says something to you that can stick in your craw for a while. So if someone's actions, you know, reveal something that maybe isn't what you want them to be, you know, that that, that can stick with you. So it hasn't been, you know, ceremonious and all simpatico down there from the jump, right? Right back to Zion's rookie year where he came back from that injury and there were those burst limits that he didn't like. And um, you know, I think when David Griffin went out and publicly criticized the referees for the injury that ended Zion's season in 2020, which was like a finger injury. Like I was told there were some eye rolls from people around Zion about like Griffin trying to kind of win favor with him and do stuff like through the media to 
you know, go to bat for him. That, that wasn't necessarily taken as intended. So I don't know if that necessarily means that we're, this is trending towards, you know, Zion gets traded this summer, blah, blah, blah. But to say that it's overblown, like the fact that that relationship hasn't been kumbaya is something that could ultimately rear its ugly head at a certain point. Would you expect, given Zion's injury history and then how important a healthy Zion actually is to the Pelicans franchise, that he would sign and they would offer an extension this summer and that this becomes, if it ever blows up the situation of the player just wants to get his long-term money and then maybe he'll try and orchestrate a trade later. Until something otherwise happens, I expect him to sign a contract very similar to what Joel Embiid did in Philadelphia, a very injury incentive laden type deal where it is a full max, but there's a lot of benchmarks he has to hit to actually get that number. And the Pelicans overall, they've been, we know they went after Lowry and CP3 over the summer. They traded for CJ McCollum at the deadline, a deal that I actually thought was a home run for them when people were panning it. Um, do you think they'll still be aggressive as we go into the offseason, or are they sort of looking at this as a situation of let's add a healthy Zion and allow this core to marinate and see what we actually have here? You know, at this point, they're probably going to get a top 10 pick thanks to the Lakers pick. Right falling, 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 falling down the standings. I mean, for a while, everyone in the league was talking about how the Grizzlies are going to have three first-round picks this year, and they can't take three first-rounders on this roster. They're going to make a big move. Now, one of those picks is a Pelicans pick, and it's top 10. And based off of where they stand, like, I can't imagine adding, especially where this draft is kind of being considered, there's supposed to be a lot of good players from, you know, five to 14, but I don't think there's anyone that's going to come in that the Pelicans right now are going to look at and that this guy can be a, a massive piece for our core. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, at this point, I, I'd expect them to try to look at that pick to go trade and upgrade and make a move to push this team's ceiling closer to the legitimate playoff picture rather than the plan. Yeah, I, I think they're going to continue to try to win. I mean, it's been three years since that front, since that front office has taken over and they're on their third coach now. They seem to have gotten it right with Willie Green. The CJ, the CJ trade, to your point, was pretty much a home run adding in Larry Nance as like another, you know, huge bonus. Like they've got pieces here where you'd see, they seem to think, you know, add Zion Williamson and one more piece, you know, could they be right in the mix with the Minnesotas and the Denvers of the world of that middle tier of the pack right now? Like, I think that's very possible. I, the other thing I come back to is just how hard Willie Green has them defending in transition. Like even with CJ and Brandon Ingram on the court, this team feels the West is going to be wild next year if Kawhi's back and Denver's at full strength, but the Pelicans feel closer, I think, than nationally they get credit for to being something special if Zion is healthy, of course. Yeah, I think the whole league is just trending to a point where like, I, I don't think we're ever going to see um, a situation where the Cavs and the Warriors put, met in four straight finals ever again. I think there's just so much talent in the NBA right now. Coaching is better than it's ever been. Skill development's better than it's ever been. Uh, the way that um, the way that scoring has opened up with pace and officiating and the amount of three points uh, shots that are being taken and, and the quality of the shooters that we see from top to bottom. I, I just think, I think the West and the East are both going to be bloodbaths for, you know, many, many years to come. I really do. Another team that was eliminated from playoff contention a while ago, you, uh, you had reported on that the Knicks are planning on keeping Tom Thibodeau beyond this season. Is that still what you expect and do you see there being any like measurable fallout from the disappointment that was this season? I think when you specifically look at, do we expect to hear Julius Nandles, Randall's name 
thrown about the trade market all off season. Yeah, I reported that a little while ago, and then someone said it on a show last night, and then it is taken as news. Um, so now I'm just, I'm just, I'm just making an unnecessary shot. Um, yeah, I, I do think, I do. I mean, nothing has changed. I, I think he's got the ultimate uh, support of Leon Rose there, um, and I mean, he won Coach of the Year and took them to the first round, you know, home court advantage in the postseason just a year ago. As much as there's, I think, credence to Knicks fans wanting to have a change there. He's going to be the coach there at least for next season. Um, the changes will come. I don't know if it's going to be Randall, but I mean, they pretty much put everyone on the table at the deadline, from my understanding. I mean, even the even Emmanuel quickly was, I think, being discussed in certain scenarios. So um, there's going to be a lot of efforts to have a roster overhaul. Will Randall be one of them? I mean, good luck moving that contract. Is all I have to say. It's going to be one of the more difficult contracts behind Russell Westbrook and Rudy Gobert. So um, maybe it's in a package for one of those guys. But I mean, every time I've talked to Knicks people about a Russ deal, they've kind of laughed me off the phone. So I don't know if that's going to change. And I don't really see a clear trade partner for anyone, you know, wanting Julius Randle right now. So. We'll see. We'll see what they can do. But I, I would expect most of their trade opportunities to be more on the periphery. The Alec Burks's, the Nerlens Noels, they're going to have Mitchell Robinson's contract to address. Um, I think it'll be more of that stuff than, than a big Randall trade. But who knows? It, it, could, it certainly could be on the table from, from everything I've heard. And if they're going to keep Tibbs, then the sort of implication there is that this team is not actually looking at the conventional rebuild that I think some fans have been pining for, where it's going to be all about the youngsters. If you have Tibbs there, my, my assumption would be that you're going to still try and be aggressive to make moves that make you a, a win now candidate next season. I think in the Knicks front offices, pie in the sky, best case scenario off season, they're, they're trading for Zion and Donovan Mitchell. Like that's, that's their goal, right? Like they want to get stars back there in the garden and in the playoff picture and, blah, blah, blah. Like they really did think they had KD and Kyrie Irving coming, you know, like, I think that's still the type of long-term aspirations that they do have short-term, long-term. I think that's overall what their goal is to get at least one star first who will hopefully try to attract another. Um, so no, I think any, any, any type of concept of moving towards a rebuild, I, I don't expect that to happen at all. And it's been since roughly the dawn of time that the Knicks have extended one of their own first round picks. Does RJ Barrett have a chance to, to break that trend? Or is this a situation where he might actually, you know, he's really good, but there's still a lot of questions about his game. If he's coming and asking for the max, I don't think that's a no brainer decision from an organizational perspective. So it feels like there's actually a pretty good chance. He won't sign an extension this off season. Well, if he doesn't sign one this off season, that doesn't mean he won't next year. Right. right? Um, but I, I'm not, I'm, I'm optimistic they'll find a deal. I think, I mean, obviously he's going to want as much as he can get, but I, I don't think there's any really credence uh, to him having a max, right? Um, so is there a number they can find that makes both sides happy? I think so. Um, from early conversations I've had about that, I, I think there's at least optimism that a deal will get done. Um, he has played really well of late. You know, he, he had a really strong second half, half of the season. I think he, I think he's turned his way into a Tibbs player. I mean, I think he's played well over 35 minutes a game or well over 30. M most nights he's played in the forties. Right. Um, so I think he's someone who's going to be 
um, at least around in the near term. However, he is probably the best player they have to put on the table for a package to go get a superstar type player that theoretically would become available. So that could also be, you know, the biggest monkey wrench of all in this scenario. You know, you only have a couple of minutes. I'll wrap up with a couple uh, quick questions here. Is there a team um, that we should be watching that's maybe not being talked about enough as we head into the off season, whether it's a playoff team with a ton at stake, that isn't the jazz or just a team that you expect to be ultra aggressive or make some serious waves once we get into the NBA offseason, the Grizzlies will do something to, to my point earlier. I mean, there's just, there's not much room for them to take two first round picks onto their books right now. I mean, how valuable the picks they have are, that's to be debated um, elsewhere. But because um, I think that off the top of my head, they have two, they have, they have the Jazz's pick and their own pick. So that'll be somewhere between like 18 and They'll have two picks from somewhere between 18 and 30, which aren't, you know, the most valuable commodities, but they can go get you something. So plus they've got some other young pieces that they could maybe throw in as sweeteners. I don't know what that they can get back, but people around the league are definitely keeping an eye on them um, to make a move. And I mean, Miami as well, like the Heat did a little thing with the Thunder at the deadline, right, to free up a, a future first round pick from I was talking to a cap guy earlier this week who said they could trade it up to four first round picks know, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson and go get anybody, right? So, I mean, is that Bradley Beal? Is that Donovan Mitchell? You know, they're going to try to get somebody. That's People on the league are definitely bracing for the heat to go make another big uh, splash, and at least an attempt to go make another big splash. Yeah, that deal with the Thunder when it happened, I was like, oh, they're clearly going to do something before the actual buzzer at the deadline. And when they didn't, it just felt like they were setting themselves up to do something seismic over the offseason, which would be extremely typical for the heat i guess at this point it would be yeah i mean they went out and got jimmy butler they went out and got kyle larry all with never, never having cap space they just like that when that they had no cap space got jimmy butler i'm like all right this isn't the nfl level the salary cap is a myth but when it comes to the heat you just have to trust that they could probably pretty much do anything pretty much yeah um and looking at this offseason what i do find so fascinating is the cap climate is just like there are maybe what a half a dozen teams that might have like semi-serious cap space and even fewer than that that will actually have ready access to max space do you think that that will increase the sign and trade or general trade markets in general or will should we just maybe expect sort of a quiet uneventful offseason at this point where the nba stands i am no longer ever expecting a quiet transaction window so i do think there will be a lot of sign trades. I think the draft will have plenty of trade opportunities. Um, it's going to be, I think the summer will be hectic. I, I do. Uh, I just tend to agree with you because I feel like every year it's, especially around the trade deadline. Oh, not much is going to happen at the trade deadline. And then all hell just breaks loose. Yeah. I mean, last year we were saying it was the summer of sign and trade. It's the summer of sign and trade. And now I think I think just every summer is going to be the summer of sign and trade the, being that the league is just so centered around stacking multiple superstars who make these gargantuan salaries and just limits a lot of flexibility on the books. Jake, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. You're able just to tell our listeners where they can find you and all the great work that you do. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Um, the book is still out there built to lose how the NBA's tanking era changed league forever. Uh, please buy that so I can make my advance back. And, uh, uh, the podcast is coming out twice a week on the call and app. Please don't aggregate this. And uh, yeah, we're writing up Leech Report once a week. So thank you again, man, for having me and for giving the platform as always. 
And I echo the sentiments on the book. It's one of the, I can't see it, but it's one of the three books I have on my basketball little thing right there. It was a great book. Uh, your information at Bleacher Report, your articles, you were, you're, you're one of the best newsbreakers in the game right now. So thank you once again for having the time, and I hope you allow me to ask you to come back on in the future. Sure. Thanks, Darren.